Welcome to 33 Tangents, a weekly podcast featuring a rotating panel of co-hosts that all work together in the same company, but live in different areas of the world. The discussions cover a wide variety of topics from digital analytics to working remotely to current happenings in business and technology. Our regular day-to-day conversations often go off in various directions, and the goal of this podcast is to share our ideas and find new ways to engage with others. And we're recording. So, Jen, hey, we're actually in person this time. We are. And but we're not actually in the country. We're uh, we're over in London right now. We're, we're we're on site this week with one of our clients. It's um, Dixon's Carphone. It's like the largest uh, technology retailer in the UK. Um, we thought it'd be great to to bring the mic over, sit down, and we're talking with. Um, the senior e-commerce insight manager, uh, Adam Waterhouse, who we've been working with for three years now, you know, yep. moving on, you know, three plus years, and thought it'd be fun just to kind of sit down, have a chat, and um, you know, see how things are going. So, what's up? What's what's uh, what's going on in your world right now? <laughs> uh, in fact, actually, you know, why don't you tell us a little bit about you know what you do, um, some of the challenges you face on a daily basis? Yeah, sure. Well, first of all, it's great to see you back in the UK. Um, was this the first time we met in Adobe Summit? In Adobe, person? Adobe Summit two years, two years ago, ago yeah. two and a half years ago almost. Yeah, and you came over with Guy. Yeah. Uh, that was a good time. We talked a lot of stuff there. Um, yeah, in terms of me, I'm, I'm doing good. I've just come back from a two-week break. Um, so, so, so not only do you have like the, the, the blitz of all the stuff coming back from two weeks off, you got us showing up <laughs> to, to greet you in the office. Yeah, well, at least I knew you were coming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so it's been a bit of bit of catch up. There was lots of stuff kicking off um, before I went on holiday, picking all that stuff back up, um, and then lots of other things coming up this week. Um, but uh, in general, it's been pretty pretty easy going uh, week, I would say so far. Um, the mood of the week tends to be determined by how well the business is performing, mm-hmm. and it seems to be performing reasonably well. So there's not too much going on in that regard. We're just getting on with things that we need to, the projects that are going on. Mm-hmm. So, um, so, yeah, so, so to that, like you're talking about like the tone of the week, like mm-hmm. what, what, what does your day to day look like as, you know, senior e-commerce insight manager? Wow. Okay. So everything starts on, well, everything starts on Sunday really in terms of the, the, the start of the week. So our management team will go through all of the reporting that we've created as a team. Um, so we've got loads of things scheduled in report builder. Um, that are coming to their inboxes, which they love and hate, because they love the amount of data they have at their fingertips, but they hate the fact that they have to go through 20 to 30 different reports in their inboxes. Um, and they pour over all that detail and they understand what's going on. And then they'll summarize it all into an email and send that to their stakeholders. And I'll get that and my kind of week will start there because there'll be a list of actions against various people's names, including me saying, Adam, can you look at this? Or someone in your team, can you look at this? Uh, and then we'll come in on a Monday, and that's really when the week starts. So we'll spend our time reviewing the business performance. And um, some of my team, the trading team within my team, will go off and do um, go and look at those actions, look at the different things that might be an issue. So maybe um, delivery availability is an issue mm-hmm. um, where we don't have enough people to deliver the things that people want. Um, or maybe one of the couriers that we work with 
can't give us enough um, premium order capacity, um, so we can't offer the next day as much as we want to. Mm-hmm. Or maybe pricing has been an issue this week. Um, and there could be all these factors. So that's really where the week starts. And then we'll kind of move into a planning phase where we're planning for the week ahead. Um, but really, um, it can be the case that once we've planned that week ahead, because this business moves so quickly and we're responding so much to um, things that are happening in the market or our competitors, um, our priorities can uh, switch on a dime, pretty much. Mm-hmm. We can be talking about one thing on Monday and then doing a different thing on Tuesday. Mm-hmm. So from that perspective, it's actually really exciting um, to work in this business. And I guess that's a lot of people um, can leave here but can end up coming back or if I speak to them they'll say I really, miss, leave. <laughs> I really miss the adrenaline rush of working for Dixon's because every other company goes so slow yeah um, so uh, yeah that's kind of that's kind of the start of the week if it's been if it's been a reasonably successful week or a quiet week then we'll get on with the things that we plan to do otherwise um, it can be a bit of chaos mm-hmm. um, structured chaos but chaos nonetheless so, you know, with that, you know, um, what are some of the challenges that you would face, say, on a weekly or, or daily basis? Like, what are the things that come up that happen regularly that you, know, you have to deal with? So, questions uh, or challenges can come from so many different directions in our organization. Because um, as an insight team, we not only face into the different departments within our e-commerce team, we also face into the departments outside of e-commerce team. Mm-hmm. So um, we work with our buying teams who work with suppliers, and we work with our stock uh, forecasting teams, we work with our IT teams, contact centre, mm-hmm. uh, the warehouse, distribution network. Um, I could, well, a big marketing team, of course. We've got our own uh, e-commerce marketing team within e-commerce, but there's also a greater marketing team that sits outside of that and does all of our offline marketing. Um, so typical questions that might come up on, say, a Monday are, um, why is this category's performance so bad? Um, is it because of um, a deal that we had last year that we didn't realize that we had running last year and therefore we were never going to be able to match the sales rate that we achieved mm-hmm. last year and we just didn't anticipate that? Or did something not perform very well this year? Maybe we had a TV deal that wasn't very good. Um, and then like half the team will end up going into the detail of that. We spend a couple of days on that. Um, maybe there'll be a question around a new feature that was just introduced on the website. Um, and maybe that's driven a positive uh, change in user behavior. Uh, or maybe we don't know. We need to go figure out what's going on with that. Um, or maybe we've seen a change in the traffic that's coming to the website through our different marketing channels. Um, and we'll have to dig into that in some details. Um, so I guess for some context, because um, I've been very pleasantly surprised while I've been here this week, you guys are actually very, I, I don't want to make it sound like I'm surprised, <laughs> uh, actually very evolved. And, and if there's surprise in that, it's not because I doubted your guys' ability. It's because most projects I, particularly as an implementation person, get brought in on are the ones that are pretty busted yeah. and need a lot of help. And while there's certainly, there's always room for opportunity and more things we can do and every implementation should always be growing and blah, blah, blah. Um, but I've, I have, it's been really encouraging to be like, oh, there are organizations in the industry that are using the data for insights rather than reporting. And, you know, I have this maturity curve graphic. I show a lot of my clients, um, where, you know, you start with the bare level, uh, or base, 
base level dashboards and weekly reporting. And then above that, you hopefully have some analysts getting some insights. And then above that, you have um, uh, self-service BI for the whole org. And I'll be honest, it's been a while since I've worked with somebody who's up more towards that self-service BI end of, um, you have a lot of folks using the data who know how to access it. And your insights team is actually getting insights. <laughs> so how, how much do you feel, like, where do you feel you are on that? And, and like, what did it take to get to that point of, hey, we're analysts, which means we analyze, we don't run reports. Yeah, yeah. So we kind of started our journey with web analytics about six years ago. And I guess one of the uh, riding, overriding principles of um, everything that we were doing was we have to have accurate data. We have to be able to understand trends in our data, um, understand what's going on, and then we want to be able to use that data to make decisions and use that as evidence to force other uh, departments to take notice and have a bin, uh, and take our opinions and do something about that. Um, at the time, the e-commerce department, when this was happening uh, within this organization, because it's e-commerce has come into this uh, more traditional company, it's very much been a stores company with all bricks and mortar. Um, back, back when I joined about 11 years ago, the e-commerce share of business was around 10%. And now it's 25%. Mm. And as that's changed over time, um, we've also had to explain to the rest of the company and try and get them on board about um, e-commerce being sort of the first thought, um, knowing that the way that people shop is mm -hmm. to research online, maybe right. go into store and look at the products, or vice versa. Maybe right. they'll go into store and have a look and then they'll come online to purchase. Yeah. It's like in, in the US, there was a big, like, poor Best Buy had to deal with the fact that it had become Amazon's showroom. Yeah. Um, and they've, they've done a good job of turning around and, and figuring out a few uh, ways to combat that. But yeah, yeah. yeah. So web analytics was a way for us to explain um, to different departments um, the scale of the amount of people that are coming to the site, um, what they're using it for, and using it as evidence to um, try and get people to change some of their long-standing behaviors mm -hmm. um, or taking this into consideration, I guess. And that took a long time. Um, and I guess going up the maturity curve, as you said, um, it took us a while to get from collecting data and validating that data and making sure it was okay to then to start to produce reports. And the, the initial reports that we uh, started to produce were, were crap. It was literally just data in a, in a table. Um, but then we started- With a pie to, chart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but then we started to build a team um, with people that were experienced in building dashboards. And how many folks do you have on your team now? We have 14 people in the team now, oh. and we've just added some more vacancies as well. And that's, does that include like the development side, like the yeah. DTM-ish folks we've and stuff? We've got one developer, um, but that's just been increased to two. Uh, we've got another headcount for that. Um, when the team initially started, there was one person implementing analytics, and then there was another person brought in to actually do something with it, and that team evolved to two. Uh, then it became three when I joined, so from my perspective, it's been from three to 14 over the wow. course of four years, I think. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that, initial, that early team started to transform the data that we had into something meaningful. And we have this concept called the T-Cozy. Um, T-Cozy is just an acronym. 
uh, it stands for traffic, conversion, orders, average order value and sales. And it's kind of like a formula. So when you receive traffic to the website. That is so British. (laughs) (laughs) When you receive traffic to the website, uh, it converts, which gives you orders. And there's a a value to that order, which we consider as an average order value collectively. And if you multiply orders with average order value, you get sales. Um, and then the E on the end is just for e-commerce or something else that you can fit. Because Tico's just doesn't. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it doesn't do it. Um, but this this was the first report that really started to make waves within the organisation yeah. because it started to explain um, if sales were down ten percent year on year, these were the categories that were driving that performance across the different metrics, and it broke it down into saying, well, actually, if your conversion rates down. Um, that's actually, it could be due to the amount of um, people that are hitting your category, or it could be down to the amount of people that are placing orders. Um, if your sales are down, it could be due to the change in average order value. So maybe a good example of that would be something like content devices, where we categorize the Chromecast products. Mm-hmm. Um, every now and again, we'll do a big promotion on Chromecast, and it will go down in price, and we'll sell loads of them, which will drive our site completion through the roof, but drive our average order value down. And you'll see in the TCOs that this is the primary driver of that change at the site level. Um, so that was the first report that really helped us to move from just reporting data to kind of diagnosing what's going on. Um, and then we started to um, share that with our commercial team, and they started to really use that to understand the behavior that's going on in their business. And so we stuck there for a while. <laughs> we stuck there for a while, and we're now trying to move up to that more uh, predictive side. And more Which is the next side. step on my, what we'll have to put in the show notes, <laughs> the graphic I've been using of maturity curve is above the self-service BI is then you know, predictive and, yeah, yeah. and optimization and personalization. So, yeah. um, so we've actually been really careful about self-service because there's so much data that we have available yeah. to us. Do you it, know off the top of your head, like how many folks we have in Adobe Analytics? We have, I think we have around 300 users, but not all of them log in. Oh, all sure. The time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's probably 10% of that login on a regular basis, yeah. another 20% on a semi regular basis. And you have a chunk of folks maybe getting reports that don't log in at all, but they get the emailed reports yeah, or exactly, something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And we have been stung in the past by allowing people to get access to data without really understanding it. Mm-hmm. And then they make decisions based on their understanding of what that data means. So we've, been stung by that and we had to be really careful and restrict access to things um we we've we've tried to improve the self-service capability by explaining things and workspaces has been really good mm-hmm. because we can curate a dashboard yeah. that people can log into we can explain the information that's in that um but i'd say we're taking um we're taking good steps within our own department but outside of our own department giving people access to that data has been Pretty challenging. <clears throat> right. Well, and you were mentioning, we were just talking about how you have a lot of stuff still in Report Builder because for a long time that was kind of the only option. That was the only uh, option, and, yeah. And now that there's workspace, uh, I think a lot of folks are uh, slowly moving some of those reports over. Uh, it's good to hear about the curation, though, because that's with that many people in the tool. Um, kind of surprises me how uh how few folks are really taking advantage of the curation capabilities and yeah. with those components so. mm-hmm. one, one of the good examples of that is with our user experience team 
Um, we build a curated dashboard for the projects on the products that they manage. So um, one project, we had something called multi-channel delivery. Under that kind of umbrella term, we were trying to improve the information about the availability of products for customers on the website. Mm -hmm. A big issue we used to have was you would land on the product page, it would say, you can collect it, store this product. And then you would add the basket, you would go to the basket page. At the, at the point of the basket page, we would then ask you to check stock in your local area. Mm. So we had said up front, yes, you can collect it. But then when you check stock in the basket, actually only 5% of stores have it and no, you mm. can't collect it in your area. So this was a project to bring that information forward. And we use workspaces to build out a huge array of information about this project and all the features it delivered. And that was a great way to provide self-service information to that team. And they log into that and they look at that on a regular basis. Awesome. <clears throat> Do you have any more stories like that where like your analytics data clearly impacted revenue or gave some really good insight they acted on? And Ooh, um... <laughs> Well, there's a controversial one. There's oh. a really controversial one. Oh, that's always good. Um, a good, well, a couple of years ago, we did a test of introducing grid view on our product listing pages. So before we just had listed items. Grid view, so, so controversial and scandalous. <laughs> yeah, we just had listed products, one underneath each other. Uh, and then we introduced this grid view button where you could uh, see four in a line, which works really well when you are when you can see multiple products and you can see the um, like the features that are bullet pointed underneath them. You can compare across in a okay. line. That's really useful. Um, but what we found was that on the mobile devices, because we removed the bullet points, mm. but we kept the grid view, people couldn't compare anymore. Mm. So we were forcing them to look at grid view and mm. they would click on the product page just to find out what the hell this product was and what mm. its features were. And we saw this pogoing behavior between segment and product. But when we tested it, we thought that because more people were getting to the product page, we thought, oh, this is successful. It must be driving conversion. So we went live with that. And that actually ended up driving a decrease in revenue for the website, mm. which we found in our analytics data after we'd done the test. And then we use that data to force back a Hooray for testing, at least. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. that you were testing and keeping an eye on such a thing. Well, the, the test itself showed, was only measuring um, the gotcha. rate of people reaching product pages. It wasn't looking at overall conversion. Right, right. Um, so actually, the change went live because we thought the test was successful. But with right. our analytics data, we had that data. We were also measuring that data. And we were able to force a conversation about the fact that um, actually this is detracting from the performance of the website. So now that we have A for T and all of that set up for you guys, it helps <laughs> yeah. prevent that in the future. Yeah, yeah. So that was, a, that was quite an emotionally charged conversation because you can imagine because the team has been building this feature for a while. They expected to succeed. They wanted to succeed. And, they and it to, looked like they did. And it looked mm -hmm. like they did. But then we come in and say, oh, hey, guys, actually, um, this thing that you've just put live, losing money um, and they were very stubborn about it but we we had the power of data on our side sure sure um, and eventually forced through the change back in most cases um so yeah that was that was a really good use of data now um leadership wise um so you know we've been trying to talk about you know the data being pushed out uh horizontally what about vertically like pushing it up how does leadership use the data that uh your team curates mm. So our management team is heavily data-driven. 
Um, in fact, they're the ones that have been really pushing for web analytics to sit within um, our e-commerce team because um, they want they want that power, they want that evidence to go around and have conversations. Um, and that goes all the way up through the, the chain um, to our commercial director, um, who then reports into our uh, CEO. Mm-hmm. And the, the whole organization, um, from a financial perspective, is very data-driven. Um, there are other departments um, in terms of like marketing. They kind of use data. They're coming around to using data a bit more. Um, there's the whole issue around data silos within the organization that we're trying to resolve. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, the we wouldn't have a successful e-commerce department like we had now unless we were um, listening to what our management team needed uh, in terms of the conversations that they have on a daily and weekly basis with the rest of the teams. Um, lots of what we have built out is based on the answers to the questions that they need to be able to give to their stakeholders and the people they work with in order to make the right decisions about how to take the business forward in the different directions. Now, I think about pivoting the conversation a bit um, to the side of like collaboration. Um, So we've talked about collaboration internally and I kicked it off as annual. We've we've been working together for three years. And what's interesting is, you know, not only are we not in the same office, we're not in the same country, we're not even on the same continent. So, you know, I'm in the Philadelphia area, Jen's in Atlanta, Jason, who uh, is listening in at the moment, he's in Utah, but I mean, we're completely separated at at this point. It's not even like a, hey, we're going to quick make a rundown next week um, kind of situation. But, you know, I I think from other perspectives, I mean, I won't speak for you, it's been a successful relationship so far. I mean, I I know from our side, we continue to grow our engagement and work with more and more of the team, uh, reaching out like into the personalization side, the marketing side, more than just uh, the analytics. But um, I'd like to get your perspective on like, what's it like working with a consulting firm that is remote to the point, again, I I can't stress enough, we're not on the same continent. I would say that um, the success of that relationship is mainly based on the consulting firm being able to just do what you need them to do. <laughs> and from that perspective, you guys have really oh, succeeded. <laughs> so it hasn't really mattered that you are um, like a few time zones behind. Um, we're still able to have a conversation within the day. We're still able to connect within the day, within both of our working days. Maybe if you were like 12 hours out, it might have been an issue. But um, given that you're kind of starting, well, Jim, you're kind of starting your day as we're kind of wrapping our day up or in the middle of our afternoon, um, that kind of works. Um, We are at least East Coast time. Yeah, so I'm coming on like right around lunchtime. Yeah, yeah. Um, Now, I don't know how much you, (laughs) how much of a problem was it or was there much resistance to bringing on remote consultants? Um. I don't think there was that much resistance, um, given that, well, it was Eric at the time, Eric Mm -hmm. Bernhard at the time, who was um, working with you guys or brought you guys on board. I think he kind of sold you in as the DTM experts. Mm -hmm. Um, We need the DTM experts because we're going to deploy DTM, we're going to deploy analytics through DTM, we need you guys. And that was what we really sold it. I don't think the the time zone was really an issue. 
and I think the way that Eric talked about it was, um, or the way that he kind of maybe sold in the workflow is that as we're finishing our day, you guys are just starting. So anything that we're working on, we can kind of hand over to you as you're progressing through your day. And then when we come in in the morning, we've got an email waiting in their inbox or something saying, well, hey, Eric, or hey, Adam, here's what I've been able to accomplish while you've been sleeping. <laughs> um, and then that kind of cycle really worked. Um, so from that perspective, it I would say the time zone thing wasn't really an issue. Um, of course, when you're working with a, a consultancy firm, it's nice to have someone in the office and it's nice to have that uh, personal relationship. And certainly it feels like just in general, proximity helps when you're trying to accomplish something. Um, but I, I, don't, I don't ever feel like it's been an issue. No one's ever um, commented on the fact that these guys are five hours behind or eight hours behind or whatever um how do you do anything because the the fruit has been in the pudding i guess mm-hmm. um the the successes that we've had the things we've been able to accomplish have just negated any um concern around that. because on the surface you know that is something that many words would be like oh no 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 we're, we're not even going to consider it yeah. even it, in the same time zone so, just yeah. being remote, a lot of folks won't consider yeah. it. Yeah. I've had some, I've had some bad experiences with um, remote consultants, uh, remote, remote consultants or remote consultancies, um, where just um, things like the language barrier have been an issue, mm, yeah. or um, just the fact that we're not being able to get to the same room or kind of get the same wavelength. Mm-hmm. But I think that, that wavelength thing has never been an issue for us. We've always been on the same page from the get-go. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it's just it's just never been, never even remotely been an issue for us. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, were there any challenges that you face like getting up and started? Because, I mean, I know for me personally, Jen, you and I were talking about earlier, like I'm, I'm a person like, I need to kind of build a relationship to get that going. So from, from your side, were there any challenges to kind of getting started um, with it? You know, I, I know so far you know, it, it's been a success since. Well, not even necessarily just 33 sticks as much as we want to make it, but just, <laughs> I mean, you guys work with a lot of partners and agencies and consultants and stuff. Yeah. So, what? Oh, I always try to build a rapport with anyone I'm working with. Uh, I guess I'm, I'd say to myself, I'm quite an easygoing person, quite an amenable person. Um, so I always try to make an effort to know the people I'm working with, um, beyond the professional. Um, and you guys are, you know, you're, you're fun, you kind of, um, your style kind of matches our own, you have a similar sense of humor, I guess. Um, and it kind of fits in with the rest of the team as well. So, um, I don't know, from, from a rapport side, I, I feel like we kind of, Gelled immediately, I would mm-hmm. say. It's not from our, from our side. It's not been an issue. Um, in terms of working with other um, external agencies, um, I don't know. I need to. I need to think about this a little bit. Yeah. I guess we're going to cut this bit out. Of the Get a name names. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just thinking like takeaways and you know, lessons learned, perhaps, or yeah, I think. Mm. Things that have worked well. I'd say getting getting drunk with someone is a good way of uh, building rapport. I have some good stories from Summit on that topic. <laughs> no, definitely at least once. Um, just going out to socialise at least once with a with someone that you're getting to uh, just to work it's with. Funner yet, when they're doing the drinking and you're not. <laughs> I, that those are my sto- Summit stories, mm-hmm. by the way. Yeah. I have a good memory of those. <laughs> yeah. 
yeah, some, it's always a good one. It's always uh, a nice one to go and meet the meet the people that you maybe sometimes just have phone calls and mm-hmm. conversations with. Mm-hmm. Um, you get to see their faces, hang out with them in the after party as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I'd say I'd say it really helps to build rapport if you can spend time outside of the office with people and socialising with them a bit and just get to know them underneath the skin a little bit. Jason, uh, do you have any questions? Any thoughts? I don't want my track to have to like crash the entire podcast. This, this whole conversation has been, has been brilliant by the way. Um, no, I mean, I think, I think this has been a, a good conversation and something that I've always wondered is, is what Adam brings up is that how do you develop that, that, that personal rapport? Uh, and for us, it's important to invest that time. And a lot of times when I'm talking to companies, they ask about, you know, coming to work on site. And I say, to be honest with you, we, we do our best work remotely, but we do, and we do invest time in coming on site like Jim and Jen are doing this week in, in London, because that personal time is important, but it's, it's really less about the work and the meetings and more about that, that personal time. Um, and, and so that's something that we definitely try to prioritize. But in addition, it's not always feasible to be flying around all the time. And so we have to be very targeted in how we do that. And one of the things that we're trying to curate is how do we do that remotely? Um, and one of the things that's important to me is the human aspect of of consulting. Um, so I'd love your, your thoughts, Adam, as far as like what you see in the industry. Is there a difference between... Uh, maybe companies in the UK versus Europe versus the United States, as far as being willing to open up and and kind of take off that we're, we have to be buttoned down business all the time and say that it's okay to be personal. For for me, it's it's important that we share our, our personal stories and that we know the the partner on the other end is is Adam and he has things that he's passionate about and does inside of work, outside of work. And to to me, being able to at least develop a little bit of that remotely makes for a much stronger partnership and then being able to kind of put the cherry on top by, by going on site and, and cementing that relationship just kind of helps take things to, to another level, but interested in your thoughts around other partners that you've worked with or other businesses you've been a part of as, as far as their willingness to have that business relationship be a little bit more personal. Yeah. Um, it probably comes down to the the length of the engagement that you have with these people. Um, people that I've worked with on a very short term basis, you kind of know that you know we're going to be working with them for a month or two. So maybe you don't go and invest the same amount of effort that you would with someone that you're going to work with for say a year, two years. Um, typically, when uh, like me and Jim jump onto a call on a Monday morning, we'll talk some shit about you know how how was your week, how was your weekend, what did you get up to? Um, what's going you know, it might be a good five or ten minutes just talking about you know things that are going on in our lives. Mm-hmm. Um, I, one of the things I really remember about Jim is the fact that if he wasn't working at thirty two sticks and he wasn't working in analytics, he'd be off chasing storms. <laughs> That's right, I did tell you that. <laughs> and this thing, I'm learning new things. <laughs> so there's all these kind of personal things that we've learned about each other over the past that helps us to build that rapport. Um, but yeah, um, I, I, I think it really comes down to um, how long am I going to be working with this person and uh, how much effort am I going to invest in building that rapport with that person? Because it, it really does help in the long term 
Um, and it's, it's not just working with external clients. It's also just within our, sure. within our own company. Um, I get on so much better and have so much an easier working relationship with anyone that I've invested time um, with to get to know. Sure. Um, so like Heather, our designer, or one of our lead designers, um, I got to know her really well. Uh, every year I make sure she makes pumpkin spice muffins around, is it Halloween or Thanksgiving? Thanksgiving, yeah, yeah, yeah. She's from Oregon. Um, oh, I was going to uh, say Thanksgiving. We're in the UK, okay. Yeah. Um, so, but this, Are we going to have to send her a link to the podcast now? Yeah. Call out her cookie. Yeah, name drop. Um, but I've got stories with um, like half the people in, sure. in e-commerce um, in similar ways, and it just it just helps to build that rapport. Um, but yeah, I, I guess I guess my perspective on it is, if I know I'm going to be working with someone for a long time, I put that effort in, and I guess um, do I see the same coming from other organisations or other companies? Perhaps, perhaps not. I've worked with some other companies like uh, Adobe, I guess, um, where um, some of the consultants we've been working on a long time frame, they tend to be quite um, rigid and formal in terms of their engagement with us. Um, it's one or two exceptions, I guess, so I got to know um, fairly well, uh, particularly one individual who ended up coming and working with us for about okay. four months on a regular basis. Well, and it can be hard as a consultant because you you don't necessarily have control over how long you're going to be on a project. Yeah. And you know, there was one while I was at Adobe, yeah, you, you get shifted around quite a bit and uh, depending on utilization and pipelines and stuff like that. While I was at Adobe, there was one project that I had that... Um, they kept trying to take it away from me to give me room for other, maybe more strategic clients or something like that. And I would not let them. It's like, no, this is my one project of sanity. There was just one person on the client side, Stacy Humphreys. If you are out there <laughs> from philosophy, I worked with her for probably three years and would not give that project up. And it was uh, so hard when I finally then left Adobe and it had to be so sudden. I'm like, this is like my, my like, <laughs> I've talked to her every week for such a long time. And now anytime I reach out, it's going to sound like a sales pitch. And, mm -hmm. but yeah, as a consultant, you don't always guarantee how long you're going to be on things. What's interesting to me is looking back at which client projects I've had that, that rapport with uh, the most, certainly things like, you know, I was working with the team at Home Depot where I was full time and sometimes on site and everything. And I was on that project for years. Um, you definitely bond. And looking at most of them, though, the ones where I bonded the most were off, often the most frustrating projects as far as the things we were up against and trying to accomplish. And uh, like there are some of the client wise where we've been through the trenches together now. Mm -hmm. And even though we both want to tear our head or our <laughs> hair out sometimes on the phone with each other, we've first of all, we can be honest with each other about the, well, if you don't want this to happen in the future, here's what you have to do differently and, you know, debate a little bit, whatever, because we have that kind of relationship where we can be honest and it doesn't get personal or weird and unprofessional. Um, or it can be unprofessional without being uh, unprofessional, if that makes sense. Uh, still within the scope of the relationship. Um, so, yeah, I, I definitely feel like sometimes it's just the things that we have to go through. Uh, you know, if you're really frustrated with your implementation, then odds are your implementation consultant cares a lot too. And mm -hmm. that's something to bond over. Well, 
So, you know, sometimes the bond happens because you go through those events, yeah. but then also when you have the bond, it makes those events easier. Yes. So exactly. when you have that relationship, when bad times come, yeah. you either be honest with each other yeah. or you both know, hey, we're, we're back to back in the, in this right now and we're, we're going to get through it. Yeah. 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 Hey, hey, Jim, can we can we given the name of our podca- podcast is 33 Tangents, can we take a quick tangent um, to a completely different topic for just a few minutes? Sure. So one of the things that I'm constantly fascinated about is how business and things work in other parts of the world. You know, I, I think wherever we're located, we get so tunnel visioned and like our view, we tend to say, well, this is how everyone else operates. And it's it's not true. And I love learning about other business cultures and just other ways of, of living. So we have John working with us, who's our resident nomad, and he's spending a lot of time in Southeast Asia right now. And we have a one-on-one scheduled every week. And I think, you know, talking about it's personal, we spend the first 15 minutes of that call talking about what he's learning about how business is done in, in Thailand and some of the other places that, that he's been Vietnam, the Philippines um, versus the United States. And it's just fascinating to me. I would love to kind of hear Adam's perspective as far as, you know, how things are, are done in the UK. What are some unique ways of doing business in the UK that we may not have exposure to um, being being based in the United States? Oh, that's an interesting question because I can only, I can't really give you a perspective. I can only tell you really my view but i don't really have another perspective in order to compare it against um uh, i guess where, where should we start should we start from in terms of like a personal relationship point of view or just how people get on with each other within the company i mean is there a particular is there a particular theme or i don't know Oh, not necessarily. Just, just kind of, you know, what, and I guess it is a tough question, not, not having something uh, to compare it against, but I, I'm just really interested in the, the day to day. And again, we take it for granted that how we operate and the, the companies that we work with in the United States are representative and it's, and it's not, you know, in, in talking with, with John, you know, they, they have just different ways of doing things. And even from an hour's perspective, I'll be talking to him late at night and he'll be, uh, out on the street and it's 11 o'clock and he's like, yeah, the, you know, the street markets are just opening up for dinner. And I'm like, it's 11 o'clock at night. I'm, I've been asleep for two hours. Um, you know, so just like some of those, those cultural things and, um, how much of maybe, uh, the IT crowd is relative as a representative of it, but which is a series that I wish they made more seasons of. I've probably binge watched all four seasons, like five or six times. It's, it's an amazing show, by the way. Uh, Okay, so I guess I guess I could talk about UK culture a little bit and um, compare it to things that I've noticed around maybe Europe and stuff. So um, in ter- in terms of in terms of working hours within the UK, we're, we're fairly rigid. We're like our nine to five uh, within a, an office environment. Um, within retail, people tend to work on a Sunday from ten to four, or uh, I think there's a limitation in terms of the this square footage of the store that determines whether if you're over that then you can only get your people to work between the hours of or for six hours a day on Sunday. Interesting. Based um, on square footage. Square right? footage, yes. Yeah. So if huh. you get under that, you can be open for as long as you want. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um and then I guess people people have um 
they, they tend to be quite rigid in terms of their working hours and then making sure they have a reasonable work-life balance. Um, because the weather in the UK is so um, chaotic, I would say, and like half the time it's raining. Um, if there's sun, everyone just accepts that it's okay to drop what you're doing and go enjoy the sun. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that when the when summer happens in the UK, which is rare, um, people people's behaviour does change and. If I compare that to, say, a European or a Mediterranean country like Italy or Greece or something, um, I find that the, the culture here or the pace of life is so much faster because people tend to have um, energy to do things. It's not hmm. 30 to 40 degrees baking in the middle of the afternoon. <laughs> no siesta. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So um, people are quite regular in terms of... Um, how they structure their day they work in the middle of the day they have their breakfast lunch and dinner at set times um people like people in italy would have dinner at say like nine o'clock or something how how do you feel the expectations are for in the evenings once you're home checking your phone being on slack with your co-workers responding to email all of that that's um i know there's many i think france was it yeah um, it's a very french thing to do yeah they've made it illegal for you to email your staff or something now yeah to look at emails outside of working hours um that's not cut it in the uk just yet <laughs> um definitely as as our company moved from our head office from um further north of hertfordshire down to down to london um because we had two businesses coming together both uh, dixon's retail and coffin warehouse coming together under dixon's car phone had... i'm sorry i just totally heard coffin warehouse instead of car phone <laughs> yeah, warehouse, warehouse yeah. um, it's quite the the two businesses to merge there this is a fun story like car phone yes so there was two populations of people to have under one roof and you couldn't fit everyone under one roof so we had to adopt um what we like to call smart working which is essentially just remote working but being smart about when you choose to do that um and I'd say that's that's made it harder to put a line between work and life or the office and home. Mm-hmm. Because for me personally, I work two days a week at home. Uh, yeah, in most cases, um, on a Wednesday and a Friday. And if I'm at home, it's really hard to then just kind of separate the fact that I've just finished work. Yeah, I'm now going to get on with something else because I've always got work on my mind. I'm only two feet away from the computer. I was just mm-hmm. working on doing work. Um, and then in terms of in terms of expectation, in terms of looking at emails and working over the weekend, it really depends on the individual. I don't think there is really an expectation within this organization that someone would do that. And in fact, culturally, we try to promote a healthy work-life balance. We don't want people to be burnt out. Um, if you're working seven days a week, you just you're not going to be productive. Um, so we try to make that separation, and we we don't ask people generally to do that. There might, there's going to be exceptions, like big events, like mm-hmm. uh, November comes around. You've got Black Friday, you've got Boxing Day. These are the biggest days for us, and people will work every hour under the sun over these over mm-hmm. these times. But um, generally, um, we try to stick to our uh, our regular pattern. <clears throat> yeah, like um, that's actually a recent conversation we, we've had about the, the concept of always being on. And I tell everybody this, um, you know, the, the typical reaction I get when I tell people I work from a home office permanently, the real reaction is always, oh, I couldn't do that. I wouldn't have the discipline 
to um, to do work. I'd always worry about the, the laundry that needs to get done, or this, that, the grocery shopping, and then the other thing. I said, I don't have the discipline to stop yakking with coworkers when I'm on site. <laughs> that, 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 that's me. Like I, I, I don't have the discipline to actually stop working, or well, I, it, it, it's putting in the work to have the discipline to stop sure. working. Yeah. Um, because it's easy, like especially some days, like. Um, you know, if, if my wife is working late because there's like an after school event, um, it's easy for me to keep going until she walks in. Like, oh, crap, it's 730 already. <laughs> um, so that's really where the discipline yeah. comes in yeah, is, yeah. It, is shutting off. That's yeah. usually a good indicator to me of how valuable I feel my work is, too. Like if I'm if I'm doing a bunch of stuff that I don't think is particularly valuable then when f- like 5 p.m. hits, I am done. Mm-hmm. But if I find myself looking at the clock and being like, oh, hey, it's 6.30. It's not even necessarily that I enjoy what I'm doing. Well, sometimes, you know, hopefully I do. Uh, a lot of the time it's merely like, this is valuable. And, mm-hmm. you know, I get engrossed in it. But. Yeah. I, I said what's an interesting call to change recently, probably the same in America, is if you can see around this office here, it's very much open plan. Mm-hmm. And... Um, Definitely 10 years ago within Dixons, it was a lot more corporate. Um, everyone wear, would wear maybe a suit or shirt and trousers and formal shoes everywhere, every day. We'd have maybe one day a week on a Friday where we'd have like a dress down. Casual but, Friday. Yeah, but it would be you know very sensible casual Friday. Um, whereas that culture is changing, I guess a lot of um, companies like Google or right, whatever right. kind of driven that kind of culture. Um, I'm okay with the open floor pl- space uh, trend to die down, but I'm yeah. cool with the jeans and mm. all yeah. of that for sure. Well, um, in, in terms of in terms of the way that that kind of changed the culture within Dixon's, um, even though people seem like they're much more closer to you in the local plan office, it feels like they're further away. Mm. It's really bizarre. As, as an individual, you just want, there's so much noise going on around. There's nowhere to escape that. So you just put some headphones on and you're in your own zone. And you're just trying to block everything out. Exactly. Oh, and for me, like I have such social anxiety and, and fear of being in other people's space or annoying them or whatever that <laughs> if they have their own space and cubicle, then I don't feel as intrusive because yeah. they can, you know, give me clear signs to get out of their space and stop talking or whatever. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I struggle with uh, the mm-hmm. open floor plan. My, my social anxiety does not dig that. Especially, I think, you know, each of us works on things that require a, a deep level of focus. And the slightest interruption can throw you out of that. Especially, yeah. like you said, you, know, put, you put the headphones on to get in the zone. Yeah. If you don't have that, there's all these little interruptions that keep coming around. You can't get deep enough in there to truly focus on it. So it either gets done like halfway mm-hmm. or you just keep putting it off and doing little things because you really can't get into like a, a good concentration you know, and, and working on it. But if you're working with coworkers and they interrupt your, your groove, um, you can't really be like, what? But yeah. since I work from home and it's my family that interrupts my group, I feel horrible because they'll like come in to say hi after school and give me a hug. And I'll be like, what do you want? I'm, especially if I'm coding or something like I'm, I'm in the zone. Leave me alone. Um, yeah. So. I feel like um, because of that and the, the fact that you, it's, I feel like it's harder to switch off. I feel like mental health is becoming much more of a focus yeah. in organizations as well. Mm-hmm. Um, giving people the kind of permission to just say, no, I'm, I'm kind of done with work now. And giving them the tools to kind of deal with this new working situation and environment that we're in. Yeah. Um, I feel like stress is becoming much bigger issue within the workplace. 
or outside of work, people are worrying about work all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can kind of see that with some of the initiatives and well-being initiatives that are happening within, mm-hmm. within the company. Yeah. <clears throat> One that cracks me up is how over the years, how much more acceptable it's become to have background noise like dogs and things like that. It used to be even just a few years ago that if a dog barked in the background, everyone on the call would be like, I don't know who that was. I'm in an office. So I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> it wasn't me. Uh, and these days, it's just kind of a given. Like when that, that poor soul on the news was doing his No, that I think that video was a was a game changer right because we we everybody yeah we, we with did it. We, like, and we for so long have tried to pretend that we're in the office and we don't have distractions and then when we saw that i think we we all collectively cringed i'm like oh let's don't do that and and i and i think that that really was like a tipping point where it was almost okay to be just open with where we're at, you know? Yeah. I, I work from home and sometimes you hear my kids screaming at each other in in the background and yeah, it's embarrassing. And I would prefer that they didn't do that, but I'm, I think it's a little bit more embarrassing to try to hide it because people know, right. People are smart. They can pick up on those things. There are some kids playing outside my <laughs> office window. It's true. Let's bring your kids oh, to work day. Yeah. <laughs> you know, two months ago when we, we put the new implementation live, uh, we both signed on. It was about 7 a.m. your time, uh, 2 a.m. my time. And uh, we both signed on and we're both working from home. And we're about an hour in. It's like, all right, it's time for some coffee. But if, normally, since it was just the two of us, it was a very informal bridge call just to make sure as we're, as we're checking everything, we both left ourselves unmuted. So, of course, I hear his coffee grinder going, the <laughs> cure going from, from, from my Surround side. Surround sound coffee. It, it, it was funny. Yeah. <laughs> Recently, uh, there's a, a Monday, Wednesday, and a Friday call that happens with some of the team. And uh, someone was using their mobile phone to call into the Skype and walked into the men's toilets <gasps> and was hot miking. And the first thing that you heard was the handbag uh, and people were wondering, is someone in the toilet? <laughs> um, they washed their hands at least, you know? They washed yeah. their hands. Then they went to the urinal. Oh. Oh, no. And you heard that. Oh, no. And then they went back to the uh, the basin, washed their hands. And right now I'm thinking, like, there's even no judgment. It's merely, like, sympathy and fear of, of that happening. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, there, there's many times I come on a call and I'm constantly checking. Like, you know, yeah, yeah. Sneeze, I live in fear mute. of that mute button betraying me. Or yes. I have the little thing covering my camera but there was once google hangouts likes to not remember your preferences for the camera and there was once when i had that open and i was meeting with a client and he and i had worked together for a long time and it wasn't a big deal and i was i was just like in a tank top like i wasn't indecent but certainly not in a way that i'd want a client to see me and as soon as i realized the video was on i ducked underneath my computer and then he could just see my hand <laughs> clamoring around on my desk trying to find my mouse so I could turn the video off. Um, he had a good chuckle. At that. Uh, yeah, that I live in constant fear of that. Yeah. But Jason, um, I know you've told the story before on here, but I don't know if we named it, it was actually Dixon's. And Adam, I don't know if you know this story. So Jason, not to completely throw you under the bus, but I'd love for you to tell the uh, the Dixon's sales story again. I love I love that story. Um, and and going back to business being personal and authentic, for for me that that authenticity is so important. And the fact that it resonated with the Dixon's team just I think helped to start this long and and valuable relationship for both sides off on the right foot. But yeah, my my very first call was was with Eric and 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 a larger team. There were probably four or five folks from the from the Dixon's office on the call 
And I think it was 7 a.m. my time. I'm in the mountain time zone. So a couple hours even earlier in the morning than Jim and, and Jen on the East Coast. And uh, I, I kind of rolled out of bed at 6.45. I got my cup of coffee, but I was still in my pajamas. Um, my, my hair was uh, a mess and just everywhere. And I, and I popped onto the Skype call thinking, oh, we're just going to have a, a voice call. And I pop it up and there's the entire conference room at, at Dixon's live on my screen. And I'm like, oh, I, I thought we were just doing a voice call. And Eric says, no, 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 we want to, you know, we're, we're talking about who we want to build this analytics partnership with. And we want to see who's on the other end of that phone. And so I kind of a little nervously clicked the uh, icon to turn on my camera and uh, proceeded to have the call. And and afterwards, Eric called me up. He's like, dude, that was that was brilliant. Um, you know, the the fact that, that you had the guts to turn on your camera, I could tell you it just kind of rolled out of bed. But the fact that you were so <laughs> real and so authentic really resonated with this team. So I, I appreciate you doing that. And so anyway, I, I, I love to tell that story and, and kind of goes to the whole thing about the importance of human connection and authenticity in our relationships. Yeah, absolutely. And actually, I don't think I was there in that meeting, but that going back to the topic earlier about... We still have a screenshot of it. <laughs> <laughs> going back to the topic earlier about um, like the challenges of getting uh, an offshore consultancy mm-hmm. to work with you. I mean, I'm sure that went down very well, and that was probably one of the reasons why um, we ended up working with you guys, because you were, you were willing to kind of be there in person with us. And that... Like breaking down that barrier in terms of uh, having a video call with someone um, and being able to converse with them face to face, even though you were hundreds of miles apart or thousands of miles apart. Uh, really no, I, I agree. And it's something that I'm trying to do more often with with the client calls that I'm on is to try to force video calls. And in fact, I, I'm trying to do it more in, internally. We don't even do it enough internally. You know, we're, we're all remote from each other. Oh, we're I am anti-video calls. Come on, Jen. You know, we're, we're all remote from each other. And so just getting that, that time to, to flip on the camera um, every once in a while, I think is important just, just to make that connection because, you know, even though we work together all the time, we're, we're often just a voice or just text on Skype. And, and so every once in a while, we're going to force Jen to, to turn her, her camera on. So I'm going to represent the female side of things. And of course, not all women feel this way, but I actually, you know, I had a theory. So I polled on, uh, on Slack and Twitter and stuff. And it, it is almost always men who are like, let's do a video conference call. And almost always the women that are like, oh, please no. Because men like, yeah, Jason, you may have gone on that call with bed hair. Maybe your hair was longer. You have had longer hair. But me with bed hair is like the stuff of nightmares. And like guys can roll out of bed and be a little bit unshaven and be in the t-shirt they slept in or whatever. But for women, there's the makeup and the hair and the, all of that. And I don't know. It, I mean, it, not it, only that, it, but it, it, I end up staring at my own face the whole time. <laughs> like, is that really what I look like when I talk? Oh, it, it, it um, is. But I, I, think, I think you have to just get into the, the groove because – I, again, I, I'm sure I don't care about a, my looks as much as you do, but my hair was long and all over the place. I sleep in a t- I sleep in a t-shirt, and I have this habit where I don't like things touching my neck. So at night, I have one hand that's like pulling down on my t-shirt, so it's not touching my neck. So it looks like you have that lazy collar that's all stretched out. I, like I looked like a mess. Um, and so, you know, I, I was I was self-conscious about it, but I also think part of it is just, you know, through through routine, you become a little bit more comfortable with it. Even like this podcast, when we did the first couple episodes, 
and I went back and re-listened to them so I could put together show notes. I cringed at hearing my own voice. And now it's like, it doesn't even bother me. We're only 14 or 15 episodes in, but I've listened to it so much on playback. It's like, yeah, this is fine. So I, I'm going to force you to not be too uncomfortable, but every once in a while, I think it it's it's good for us to I, be on. Internally, I can <laughs> see my bed hair and, mm-hmm. and get over it. But uh, clients, it, it's harder. <laughs> I think the first time you tend to hear your own voice is when you've recorded it through a bad microphone. Yes. And it always sounds really high pitched. Um, so it really helps to have a good microphone if you want to listen to yourself. Anytime I hear my own voice, I just turn around looking for my sister. <laughs> we sound exactly, we don't look alike, but I can't tell the difference between us. Uh, I hate the sound of my own voice. So, yeah, as I'm going through and editing this, like it was a real challenge. And the more I think back on it, like we'd started recording these because this is. You know, something we'd always kind of talked about. I, I always thought it was a fun idea. We recorded a bunch of them. And then I, I think I realized one of the subconscious reasons I never went and edited it and always found busy work to do was because I hate the sound of my own voice. I had to get over that discomfort. And I, I Like Jason, I've kind of gotten over that discomfort. It's much easier now because I would oh, the first couple episodes trying to edit them. And I mean, we don't do a lot of editing. Well, like we'll take out like there's a really long gap in conversation, or, you know, a little bit of stuttering. We'll take it out. But really, it's, it's just meant to take the conversation, put, you know, Two, two bookends on either side of it and publish it, but of course, listen through it as you're just taking out any kind of pops sure. or whatnot. And it was, it, I cringed the first couple times hearing my voice. It was just awful. <laughs> but yeah, it's like, you know, eventually getting over that discomfort. Maybe I'd get over that if I did video conferencing enough, I'd stop being like, is my face that asymmetrical? <laughs> All right, I, I have a new goal now. Oh, but Adam, you have the, the bonus here. If you have the the British accent, the non Cockney British accent, so anything you say is going to sound educated and authoritative to oh, wow. you know the U.S. audience. Yeah, I'm so. definitely not Queen's English. <laughs> well, this is this has been um, an awesome session. We've we've covered a ton of topics from you know analytics to working remote to working with remote agencies. I Adam, I I really appreciate you you joining us. This has been again an amazing conversation hopefully you enjoyed it and if if jim and jen haven't uh treated you to a good meal please uh hold them to that i hope they're taking good care of you while they're they're spending time with you and the team over there i dragged him to a pub so jim could have his authentic pub uh fish and chips experience yeah that's Um, awesome yeah it's been a blast it's been good fun excellent but uh definitely appreciate you taking the time just to, to chat with us and uh yeah just you know having us out here this week. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah, it's great to have you guys over. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really lucked out because this is my first week on the project and it got to be on site. So <laughs> yep. I get to know everyone and it's a good way to start. Exactly. Cool. Well, we'll go ahead and wrap up for now and uh, we'll talk to everybody soon. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of 33 Tangents. If you enjoyed what you heard, please rate and review the show on your favorite podcast aggregator so others can find us. If you would like to reach us, you can do so by emailing podcast at 33sticks.com or on the web at 33tangents.33sticks.com. 33 Tangents is a production of 33 Sticks, an analytics boutique.